We are continuing our series that we began two weeks ago called Habits of Grace. And we started to look two weeks ago at the habit of listening and studying the Word of God. Last week we talked about what does it mean to share the Word of God, evangelism. And this week we're continuing our series, Habits of Grace, by what does it mean to have a habit of worship. What you're doing today matters. What we're doing together is important. And it's important that we build this into our regular rhythm of life. The whole premise behind this series is this, that those that have been touched and transformed by the grace of God should have habits of grace in their life. How does the grace of God that has transformed us manifest itself through the reading of God's Word, the sharing of the Gospel with others, and this morning looking at the regular practice of worship together with the people of God. To do that, we're going to look at a psalm that is regularly used in worship, and it's Psalm 95. We're going to look at all 11 verses together, and as you're turning to Psalm 95, let me say this. It's been said before, and I'll say it again. The priority of worship, not just worship and how you worship as an individual six days of the week, but the worship that happens together is so important to the life of the believer, so important as we begin to discover and uncover what God's grace means to us in our lives. It's been said before, and I'll say it again, that worship is as important as important to the life of the believer as oxygen is to life and breathing. It is that important that we build a regular habit of corporate worship into our lives every single week. And so to do that, let's look at the Psalm 95 together, reading all 11 verses. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. He's a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountain are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. The hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He's our God, and we're the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And the grass withers and the flower fades with the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. I remember when I was nine years old, I flew on an airplane for the first time. And I remember the feeling, the excitement the night before to fly on an airplane for the first time and arriving at nine years of age with my parents to the airport early and going through the security line and watching from the terminal as the plane that was going to take us away arrived at the terminal, being the first to board, going in the cockpit, meeting the captain, getting to my seat, face pressed against the window, the excitement of 
ordering a drink and getting a snack and buckling my seatbelt and then the plane taking off and gripping it for dear life because it felt like we were being rocketed to the moon. But then you fast forward many years from then, and what's the airport experience like now? Now I get to the airport at the last possible second, fight my way through security, fight my way down the aisle to try to get the last spot for my carry-on luggage, hit the seat, buckle my seatbelt, and I fall asleep as quickly as I can. I could go to Japan and I wouldn't even know the difference. You see, we have the ability to take that which is amazing and make it mundane. We have the ability to take the most amazing things like riding in a metal cylinder at 350 miles an hour and make it very ordinary and common. But we also have the ability to take something so amazing like worshiping in the presence of the God who created the heavens and the earth and making it just ordinary and common. We have the ability to come into the presence of the living God who created you and me and the heavens and the earth that brought salvation to the world through Jesus Christ and turning into just kind of what I do at 11.15 on Sundays. You see, when we, when we stand before celebrities or politicians or athletes, we're often awestruck lost for words. But how often do we forget that every time we come into worship, we are coming into the presence of the very God that created you and me. And for some of us, our faces look like Mount Rushmore. Our faces look like they are absolutely unfazed by the prayers and the songs and the gospel that is preached. And so God, it is my prayer. Would you wake us up? Wake us up to what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And so how does Psalm 95 help us get there? Psalm 95 lays down an incredible foundation for what it means to worship, to how to build this habit of worship into our lives. And the first question that Psalm 95 helps answer for all of us is what exactly is worship? Is it the singing? Is it the prayers? Is it the preaching? What exactly is worship? Well, according to Psalm 95, worship is assigning ultimate value and worth to God. Actually, worship, period, regardless of what you worship or when you worship or how you worship, worship is assigning ultimate worth and value. The psalmist here in Psalm 95 says, worship is the worship of God is assigning ultimate worth and value to God. Listen to what he says. He says, sing to the Lord. Why? It says because he's our God. It says in verse 3 that he's a great God. And then verses 4 through 7 list all of the reasons for why God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, should be assigned ultimate worth and value in our lives. Psalm, verse 4, it tells us, In his hands are the earth and the mountains also. He made the sea. He formed the dry land. Verse 6, he's the maker. Verse 7, he's our God and he's our shepherd. So what Psalm 95 is doing is it's reorienting us to what is truly valuable and worthy. 
It's reminding us that the God that we sing to and pray to and hear about every single Sunday here at Coral Ridge is the God that created us and he's the God that loves us and he's the God that saved us and he's the God that shepherds us. He's the king and he is God and he is Lord. You see, what worship is every single Sunday is we are doing an inventory of our heart. And when we look and examine our hearts, we need to ask ourselves this question, what has my heart placed ultimate value and and worship to? What does my heart assign ultimate worth and value to? What Psalm 95 wants us to do is reorient our heart to assign or reassign for some of us ultimate worth and value to God. You see, worship, what we do here on Sunday mornings, is not simply a a weekly pick-me-up. It's assigning ultimate value and worth to God because He has completely transformed our lives. But not only is worship according to not, uh, worship in, according to Psalm 95 assigning ultimate worth and value to God because of who He is and what He's done, but the second thing we have to understand about worship is that it's corporate. You see, it's so obvious we almost miss it. The psalmist doesn't say, oh come, let me sing to the Lord. Let me make a joyful noise. Let me come into His presence. No, what does it say? Let us. Let us come with singing. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into His presence. You see, the worship of God is corporate in nature. It involves you and me. It involves your story and my story. It involves what happened in your life this past week and what happened in my life this past week. Think of so many of the songs that we sing. So many of the songs that we sing aren't even directed directly to God, but they're directed to each other to remind us about what God has done for us. Think about that. We are to sing to one another and pray with one another, and read the gospel to one, with one another every single week, corporately together. Why? Why does it involve you and me, your story and my story? Because it's the only time during the week where different cultures and different races and different backgrounds and different stories and different trials and whatever's happened in your life and in my life all gets blended together, one family of God coming together. Why? Because God created it all and God has created all of us to come together to sing and to worship Him. Can't get this by yourself. Can't get this at home. Can't get this on your phone. Can't get this on the computer. You can only get this when we come together and sing together and hear the Word of God together and pray together and worship together. The worship of God is corporate in nature. The community of the people of God coming together. So what is worship? It's a reassigning every week ultimate worth and value to God. You're God and I'm not. You made everything. I made nothing. You're the Creator. I'm the created one. And therefore I worship you. But I do that in the context of community. That's why it's so important that you're here every Sunday. Can't get this by yourself. We get this together by the community of God's people worshiping together. That's what worship is. The second question that Psalm 95 helps answer for us is, why should we worship? In verse 3 it says, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. What the psalmist is saying there is not that you're a worshiper and those people out there are not. He's not saying that there's such thing as a person that worships and a person that doesn't worship. What Psalm three, what verse 3 is alluding to is everybody worships a God. 
What Psalm 95 reminds us of is the God that we worship is the great God above all other gods. He's the great King above all other gods. See, the reality is the reason we come into worship every single week is because your heart will ultimately worship something. You are a worshiper by nature. The question is not whether you worship or not. The question is what has your heart chosen to worship? What is your heart worshiping right now? Is your heart worshiping your job, success, money, a relationship, how you're valued by your spouse or by the world, approval? What exactly is the God that your heart right now is inclined to worship? You see, the reason we have to worship, the reason we come into worship and come into His presence every week is because we need to be reminded of why we worship. Because my heart six days a week has been captured by something smaller than God. And my heart needs to be reoriented to understanding that God is God and I am not. And that it's utterly transforming me. You see, the reason we come to worship is not because I need it just today. is I actually need it the other six days of the week. I need to be reminded what happens here when Julianne leads us up here on stage and the worship team leads us. I need that to carry me and sustain me. I need those songs to sustain me Monday through Saturday. When Rich comes in here and leads us through an assurance, I need that assurance of pardon to sustain me and carry me Monday through Saturday. When the Word is preached, I need that good Word to sustain me Monday through Saturday because I know this about myself. I know my heart will worship, will worship something. And I need to get here on Sunday. I need to make it a priority because I will worship a God, but I want it to be the God that has transformed me and made me and changed me. Lastly, what happens? What happens in here when we worship? How does it actually change us? How does it transform us? Well, at the end of Psalm 95... At the end of verse 7, through the end, the psalmist takes us back to a story in the Old Testament, earlier in the Old Testament. Takes us back to the Exodus story, or right after the Exodus story. And what verse 7 through 11 tells us is the story of the Israelites. After they go through the Exodus, they're released from God, freed by God, from slavery in Egypt. And what do they do for 40 years? They complain. It says here, even though, verse 9, they saw my work, they still put me to the test. Even though they saw the great exodus, they saw my salvation, they saw me, how, what I did to the Egyptians and how I provided for them, they still turned away and they complained and they failed to worship me as God. And so some pretty harsh language. It says, 40 years, I loathe that generation they saw who I was and they failed to give me worship. They saw my great works and they weren't content. And what was the promise for them at the end? Verse 11, therefore, they will not enter my rest. You see, what worship ultimately is, how it transforms us, it because it ultimately leads us to gospel rest. You see, all week, Monday through Saturday, your heart's and minds are restless and anxious. Why? Because you're ultimately trying to prove your worth. You're ultimately trying to prove that you're worthy. 
And the reason you need worship and the reason the promise of gospel rest here in Psalm 95 is so important for you and me is because it's the one day a week that through prayer and through singing and through the preaching of the gospel, you are reminded that there is a place where you can find ultimate rest. Because you'll never find rest out there. The only thing you'll find out there is your heart to fight to make yourself worthy, to prove yourselves to others, to make your name great, to make your name more valued. And therefore, we come in here exhausted and weary and beat up. But we need to be reminded that there is rest for the one that finds their ultimate rest and hope in God. You see, the promise of worship for the people of God is gospel rest. That's why it comes at the end of the psalm. At the very end of the psalm, the very end of the psalm on worship in Psalm 95 is rest for your weary soul. How does this actually happen? You see, the story of the gospel is this. Jesus, the one of great worth, the one of highest honor, the one of greatest value, did what? What's the story of the gospel? He came down and he said, I'm going to get rid of my worth, rid of my honor, rid of my glory for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Although he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty, we might experience the richness of God. You see, what worship is every Sunday is being reminded that the worthy, the worthy one, God, sent his worthy son to lose his worthiness so that we might be a valued child of God forever. And only until you get that, that I am treasured. I am treasured in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. Will you ultimately find the rest that you need? When we pray and we sing and we read about Jesus, we are ultimately praying about, praying to, and singing about, and hearing about the one who stands in our midst and says, Come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know him? You will not find the rest that your heart craves. You will not find the rest that your mind and your heart and your body desire until you know the one who purchased this rest for you. That's why we come every Sunday to worship. To worship. And the great promise for those that receive Jesus Christ as their only hope and their only Lord and their only Savior is the great words of the Apostle Paul when he says, therefore, there is therefore no condemnation. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Your spouse can no longer condemn you and your employer can no longer can get, can condemn you and your kids can no longer condemn you and the world can no longer condemn you. Only then can you truly find rest. And we need to hear that every Sunday. We need to sing about that every Sunday. Your heart, your kids, your spouse, your family, your entire being needs to be engaged in worship every single week. In Haiti, there's a clinic full of little girls that have lost their arms and their legs. But every morning they get up and they sing songs to each other. And this is what they sing. One girl starts off by singing, 
If God is for me, what do I have to fear? And in unison, all of the other girls sing, nothing, 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 nothing in Creole. And then the next girl sings, well, what if I have lost my arms and legs? What do I have to fear? And the girls sing in unison, nothing, 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 nothing. What if our homes have fallen down and we've lost everything? What do I have to fear? And the other girls remind her, nothing, 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 nothing. What if we don't have any food to eat? What do I have to fear? And the other girls sing and remind her, nothing, 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 nothing. You see, the reason we come to worship every single Sunday, the reason this has to be a habit in your life and a practice in your life is because you need to be reminded what happens when I face financial hardships. What do I have to fear? Nothing, 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 nothing. What if my marriage is going through a a time of crisis and it's hard? What do I have to fear in Christ? Nothing, 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 nothing. What if my children are lost and not following Jesus? What do I have to fear? Nothing, 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 nothing. What if this life has not gone as planned and dreams are dashed and, and goals are shattered? What do I have to fear in Christ? Nothing, 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 nothing. We need to hear nothing, 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 nothing. Every single week. Be reminded of what God, who God is. Be reminded of what He's done. In the weekly habit of worship. The worship of God together with the people of God. Oh, come, Coral Rich. Oh, come, let us sing for joy. For He's a great God. And He's our God. And we are His people.